Good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you today. As I was thinking about how I might uh, start speaking with you this morning, I remembered an example from earlier in my life. There is a British children's author named Patricia St. John who was writing around the middle of the 20th century. And she wrote a novel for children called Treasures of the Snow, which was designed to respond to a need that she felt children in Great Britain were experiencing at that time. She was looking at the aftermath of the Second World War when she saw so many cities in Britain that had been bombed, and in some cases, families in England that had been completely torn apart by the war, and she realized there was a strong need for the message of forgiveness to be understood by the kids living in England at that time. Now, in this book, we, in fact, meet three Swiss schoolchildren. There is young 12-year-old Annette, who lives with her younger brother, Danny, in a cabin on the side of a mountain with their father and grandmother. And a little bit farther up the mountain is Annette's schoolmate, Lucian. And you can tell at the beginning of the book, there's kind of an anger that exists between Annette and Lucian. Because one day, Annette was heading down toward her school, carrying her homework, and Lucian rushed down toward school next to her, accidentally bumping into her and causing her to spill all of her homework into the snow, ruining it. And Annette was so angry, when she got down to school that day, she told all the other kids what Lucian had done, and so the kids and the teacher were furious with Lucian. And so you can tell there's this antagonism that exists between these two school children. Somewhere in the beginning of the book, young Danny, Annette's brother, decides that day he wants to go up onto the side of the mountain to pick flowers for Annette because he knows how much she's going to love them. And he brings with him his most trusted friend, a small white kitten. As Danny gets up there, he begins picking the flowers, and he is so absorbed in his work, he doesn't realize that Lucian has come up behind him. And when Lucian sees what he's doing, he knows who the flowers are for, and he does not want Annette to have them. And so he grabs the flowers out of Danny's hands, throws them down onto the ground, and tramples on them. And Danny is beside himself, and as he's gathering up the flowers, he looks up at Lucy and says, I'm going to tell my father what you did, and he's going to punish you. And at that point, Lucian becomes worried, and he does not want to be punished, and he's trying to think of what he can do, and then he sees the kitten. He grabs the kitten, holds the kitten out over the cliff, and says to Danny, unless you promise not to tell your father, I will drop your kitten over the edge. Now, the author is quick to point out that Lucien is not really an evil child. He doesn't intend to drop the kitten. But the kitten doesn't know that. And the kitten finds itself hanging by the scruff of its neck over the side of this cliff. And out of a desire to escape, the kitten reaches up a single claw and scratches Lucian's hand. And Lucian is so surprised, he drops the kitten over the edge. And Danny, in a mad desire to save the kitten, pushes forward and plunges into the darkness. 
Lucian, believing that Danny has died, runs back home and is weeping in the barn. And later, Annette, looking for her brother, comes, finds Lucian in the barn, and asks him if he knows where her brother is. And Lucian says, he died. He's on the mountain dead. And Annette says, I want you to show me his body. And so they go up there to the side of the cliff, and the moment that they arrive there, Annette's father also arrives. He looks down over the cliff, and he sees something that no one else has noticed until this point. He sees Danny has not died. He's fallen onto a ledge a little bit below, but he's badly hurt his leg. And so her father takes some rope, climbs down, rescues Danny and the kitten, takes safely Annette, Danny, and the kitten back home to grandmother. And that night, Annette is just murderously, angrily saying to her grandmother, I want Lucian to be punished for what he's done. And then the grandmother says something surprising. She says, Annette, think about how Lucian is treating himself right now. Think about how angrily he's yelling at himself. Maybe what he needs right now is not punishment, but forgiveness. Now, when I read this book, I was about Annette's age, 12 years old. And I have to say, I understood exactly how Annette was feeling. I didn't want Lucien to go unpunished. But the more I've thought about it, and the more you actually reflect on the book itself, the message of forgiveness is so clear there and can be found so clearly throughout Scripture. And so, in fact, today, I want to focus on one very short verse that talks about this idea of forgiveness. This verse is found in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. And in this particular English translation that I'm using, it sounds like this. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, that is a tiny verse. In this translation, it's just 14 English words long. In the original Hebrew, it's just eight. But nonetheless, in spite of how tiny it is, I feel it's almost like a, a treasure chest in terms of how much stuff there is here to unpack. It actually reminds me of another children's book that many of you have probably read, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, in which the young boy Charlie meets Willy Wonka, the owner of the wonderful factory where all this candy is produced. And at the beginning, when Charlie goes into the factory, he finds out Willy Wonka has been working on a new kind of magic chewing gum. Because all you have to do with this gum is put one piece into your mouth and you will suddenly find out that you are tasting a three-course meal. That's what I feel like when I look at this verse. And so all I want to do today, very briefly, is three things. I want to look from sort of a, what you might say, exegetical standpoint, what is actually happening in the verse itself. And then once we understand that, we're going to ask the question, is there anything in this verse that I can see from a theological standpoint maybe vibrating throughout the rest of Scripture? And then the last thing we're going to do is just say, is there anything from this that I can learn for my life here today? So just looking at the verse itself, this tiny verse, just looking at the first half, we see it says, a person's wisdom yields patience. Or you might more accurately say, God's wisdom in a person 
yields patience. And I have to say, this is exactly the kind of thing that God seems to do. At one point, there was nothing, and then God says something, and suddenly there's everything. That is how the world exists. And so if there's no patience within, God is the one who supplies it. And then when you look at the second part of the verse, it says it's one's glory to overlook an offense. It's actually to a person's benefit to be able to extend forgiveness to another person. And as I began to think about the way some commentators have looked at this, they've actually talked about how you can, you can actually shade pretty closely how many different ways a person can respond to being offended. For example, a silly example, imagine I'm, I'm standing here and I've got an ice cream cone, and as I'm eating the ice cream cone, someone comes up behind me, and they accidentally bump into me, and they knock the ice cream down on the ground. Now, there's more than one way for me to respond to this situation. I could, for example, say to the person, Sir, the ice cream is on the ground. But I want you to know, sir, that I forgive you. I, a scholar and a gentleman, a loving husband to my wife and my children, I forgive you the worm that you are. Now, I could do it that way. Or, when the ice cream's on the ground, I could say, oh, sir, clearly, it has been a hard day. Dare I say, a hard week. We could talk all day about why the ice cream is on the ground how it ended up there, but let me say instead, I have money. Let me instead buy not one, but two ice cream cones. And then we could enjoy the ice cream together and somehow finally get through the year 2020. Now, it's silly, of course. It's a silly example. But commentators have looked at this and they've said, that is actually the different ways it's possible to approach a situation where someone needs forgiveness. And in fact, you have to allow for wide frailty on the part of the other person if you really want to forgive them. People are fragile. People make constant mistakes. You have to be able to go out of your... In fact, the example that best comes to my mind is the image of a lantern. What exactly happens with a lantern? You could probably picture me holding one right here. And in the other hand, I'm holding a match. I strike the match, and you can even picture the small flame grabbing a hold of the thin piece of wood. Your nostrils can... Imagine what that freshly struck match smells like. For one moment, those two objects just hang there, the lantern and the match. And then there's that sublime moment when the match enters the lantern, and it completely transforms everything around it. 
I might remind us, the lantern is still just a lantern. But now there's happening something inside that is capable of altering the surroundings. It actually reminds me of a moment from C.S. Lewis's last book in the Chronicles of Narnia series called The Last Battle, where there is this broken down, dark stable that's filthy, and no one wants to go into it. And we don't find out till near the end of the book that actually in that stable is Aslan, the lion, the representative of Christ. It's his eternal paradise. And C.S. Lewis says the stable, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. That's what real forgiveness feels like. And it comes not from within ourselves, but from the Lord, and he's the only one who can extend that kind of forgiveness and allow it to radiate out of a person. So the question is, if that is what's found in this tiny verse in Proverbs, is there anywhere else in Scripture that you can hear this message? And we already know the answer. In fact, you can just go back to the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, and you can picture from some time in your past, during one of those Sunday school messages you can close your eyes and you can see the young shepherd boy. You can probably even imagine his coat of many colors. You can probably see the anger on the faces of his brothers as they threw him down into the pit where they expected him to die. And then we know that this young shepherd boy goes on to become a ruler in Egypt. So that years later, when his brothers, broken down by hunger, and they come to this ruler in Egypt, not knowing that is, in fact, their brother Joseph. Joseph, as he's looking at them, maybe, maybe he remembered what it was like to be down in the pit, looking up at them. And maybe now, because he's a ruler, he's in a different physical position, probably sitting above looking down at them, maybe he was able to step into their shoes and know exactly how they were feeling. And maybe that's why he was able to say those words that to us probably seem so surprising when Joseph said, do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. That's what's happening at the beginning of the Bible. And you fast forward to the Gospels and you see another shepherd, Jesus, saying equally surprising words to his followers who would have expected a different message to be said about their enemies when Jesus himself said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Is there anything valuable in these words that I could learn for my life here today in the 21st century? Unfortunately, there is so much for us to learn. Sometimes it's actually too close to home if you talk about what's happening here. It's easier sometimes to take a step back and ask, what's happening in the rest of the world to teach us about forgiveness? And it didn't take me, unfortunately, long in preparing the short message to find several examples of what's happening. 
overseas. Just a couple weeks ago, many of you know, there was an election in Belarus where the authoritarian leader who's been there since the 90s, in order to desperately hang on to his power, people were locked up, protesters were tear-gassed, and there was murder. The director of the military museum refused to sign the agreement saying he acquiesced to the election. Instead, he called his wife and said, I can't take this job anymore. I'll be home by five. And he never got there. But that was just in that part of the world. You go to another part of the world, you find another country where there were mosques, where families would go to worship with their children, and those mosques have now been torn down, in some cases burned. The families have been separated, and school-aged children are being raised in schools and will not see their parents until their minds have been changed. And you hear that and think, how would I feel if I knew that some of the school-aged children here in this room today were being treated that way? Or just within the last six months, in a country in Africa, there were over 250 elementary school girls who were kidnapped and being held hostage. What can be said in the face of such naked hate? Only the Lord is capable of lighting a fire that can radiate forgiveness out of a person toward that. And the enemy is crafty. He knows exactly the kinds of things that each one of us respond to. He's just outside those doors. He's already dug all the traps. And he's just waiting for us to come and fall into them. I think about in my own life, in fact, uh, my wife Julie and I have been privileged to spend most of the last 20 years serving the Lord overseas, but for the last two years, we've been here in Kokedo because of issues involving burnout and some great need on my part to experience healing. I've been back here having had the opportunity to really understand the Lord's forgiveness. And so I'm saying that simply to tell you I'm not really preaching to you this morning. I'm just talking to myself. Near the end of the book, Treasures of the Snow, the situation has completely changed. Lucian, who caused this problem for Danny, finds out there's a doctor on the other side of the mountain who may be able to help Danny, and at great cost to himself, Lucian goes over the mountain through a snowstorm to bring that doctor back. Annette finds herself caught in a blizzard, and it's Lucian, who finds her, and he takes off his coat, wraps it around her, and says, Annette, I can't carry you by myself, but stay here, stay warm, I'll be back with the sled as soon as I can. And there's Annette, sitting there with Lucian's coat around her, seeing the snow falling all around, wanting for the first time in her life to extend forgiveness. And this is how the author describes it. After Lucian rescued her, Annette spent some time by herself considering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. She finally decided, Lord Jesus, I'm opening the door now. I'm sorry it's been shut such a long time and you had to wait so long. Please come in now. I'm sorry I hated Lucian. Please make me love him. And so the Lord Jesus, who had been waiting outside the door of Annette's heart and life for such a long time, came in. He would forgive her and help her to change. 
There was no one there to see that wonderful thing happening. Even Annette did not really feel any different. But up in heaven that night, Annette's name was written in God's book of life, and the angels rejoiced because another child on earth had opened the door and made room for the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, that you are the one who is capable of extending that kind of forgiveness and lighting within each one of us that kind of fire so that we can be as lanterns changing the surroundings, Lord, not because of anything within us, but because of you. Thank you, Lord, that you offer this kind of gift, just like you did here in this story to Annette, so that if someone in this room knows, Lord, that they've never opened the door of their heart to you. All they have to do is say, Lord, I want you to come in. And then you will. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love. We pray these things in your name. Amen.